Welcome to the Everyday Lions podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lyons. Welcome back, guys, to another week. First of all, I'd like to congratulate Emily Ratai and Anne Thomas, who both achieved personal best at Park Run at the weekend. It's a credit to all your hard work in the group training, and well done, guys, and keep the great work up. Also, a big congratulations to my runners who competed in Triple Top Mountain Run at the weekend. Such a brutal event, and you really earn that T-shirt that you get. So well done, guys, and remember to take it easy this week. Also, a big welcome to new runners, Michael Potter and Jason Kyes, who have joined group training. It's great to have you guys on board, and I'll look forward to the improvements you have over the next few months. This one is a big one. I'm excited to launch the Everyday Lions and Tax Centre Great Train Race. This is a fun run, and it will be on April 11th, 2021. It'll be a seven kilometer race for adults and a two kilometer race for kids. The seven kilometer race is an out and back event and runners will be racing the train. The train takes approximately 30 minutes to to complete its out and back journey. Um, Yeah, it's just, well, this event used to be on a number of years ago and probably ceased back in 1996. Uh, so I'm just happy to bring it back. There'll be prizes for place getters in the males and females, as as well as uh, 20 random draw prizes. Uh, I'd just like to thank Jason Kyers from the Tax Centre here in Devonport for coming on board with sponsorship. Uh, without sponsorship, events like this don't happen, and I'm so grateful for that Jason um, was able to, to give some sponsorship for this event. So if you live in Devonport or you even don't live in Devonport and you have some accountancy needs or some tax done, please consider the tax centre. Okay, personally in my running, my knee has been giving me some trouble. I guess that's part and parcel sometimes in running. It's frustrating, but I've had a, the last few days off and I'm just trying to get that right. Uh, also, Launceston 10 is about five weeks away. Uh, they they have a mile, a 5k, a 10k and a half marathon. I know Richard and his team will love to see you along to that event. So if you haven't entered, hurry and get on board. Also, I have Cubs training for kids. This is for kids age between 8 and 14. It's a place of learning and where friendships are made. Um, If you have a kid who loves to run, please consider uh, the Cubs training. It's at 4.15 every Friday afternoon in Meercroft. Uh, You won't regret it. It's just a lot of fun. If you want more information on the adults groups or the kids group training, you can go over to www.everydaylions.org. Okay, for this week's guest, this week's guest is Grace Tame, who is from Hobart. She's a sub three hour Mara runner. She's won the Ross Marathon in October this year and was recently awarded the Tasmanian Australian of the Year for her work with the Let Her Speak campaign that she teamed up with journalist Nina Funnel. Ah, uh, yeah, she's an amazing young woman, Grace. 
She is a sexual assault survivor and an activist and advocate for men and women who've experienced sexual assault. Uh, she just has so much wisdom in her words. Uh, it's, it was hard to believe that I was actually talking to a 25-year-old. It's more like talking to someone who is 40 years of age. Um, like I said, she's just so so mature and so much wisdom in her words. If any of this content brings up any issues for you, please reach out to a family member or friend or you can contact Lifeline on 131114. Okay, until next time, I've been Brian Lyons, your host. This is the Everyday Lions podcast and happy running. Here's Grace. Welcome to the Everyday Lions podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lyons, and this week's guest is Grace Tame, who is from Hobart. Grace is a distance runner and has run low three hours for the marathon at Ross Running Festival earlier this year. Grace is a sexual assault survivor and started the Let Her Speak campaign along with journalist Nina Funnel. As a result of this campaign, she won the Tasmanian Australian of the Year, as well as being a very inspiring young lady she is a talented artist and has a few high-profile pro- high clients. Welcome to the show, Grace. I'm glad I got that out. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Brian. It's a pleasure. Great. And has your day been busy today? Yep, day's been day's been pretty busy. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, I'm I'm a distance runner, and um, Sundays is my typical long run day. So I kicked off the day with a nice uh, 25k run just around my side of the river on the eastern shore you know through Belreath and Howrah it was a beautiful, beautiful day the sun's shining not a single cloud and then yeah great good to be alive and exactly just enjoying life so blessed so great. yeah and did you do that alone or with a group of people or yeah today I did that alone um I usually I, I uh, run on on Sundays or I like to run on Sundays with um either my friend Millie or my cousin Eloise, who's done a lot of um, done a lot of runs with me, including some some uh, fundraising runs. Um, but yeah, today I actually just did it by myself, which was still nice. Great. And I saw a lot of people, a couple of people that I knew actually. I ran past and yeah, wave and a smile. Yeah, sounds good. Good to be alive. And now we're talking about the running. How did you actually get into distance running? Um, well, it's sort of a long winded answer um but i'll try and keep it as short as possible um so that we can get to the crux of other stuff but um yeah no i'd I'd run a lot um or not a lot i suppose but i I ran a bit in school like i was always a pretty you know i'm I'm a pretty little little human being um a little bit of a pocket rocket so (laughs) i always enjoyed like carnivals and stuff at school but never never really particularly seriously i did play a lot of soccer and I think that helped me with just, you know, general fitness and stuff like that. But actually when I was about 14, um, I really struggled with anorexia. And from, from then until I was about 18, I had to stop all exercise. So I went from playing, you know, soccer, water polo, um, you know, doing cross country and all these sorts of things to, to not being able to do anything at all um, in recovery. And then, um, yeah, I briefly got back into it when I was 18, but not for very long, maybe only six months. And then, 
when I really got back into it was about two and a half, nearly three years ago. Um, when my friend and I were doing workouts together every week and he suggested one day that before a workout, we, you know, whack in a run to just warm up. And I thought, Oh yeah. All right. You know, cause I'd, I'd sort of used to run a bit and um, I started running and I just zoomed off yeah. and I was like, Oh my goodness, I, I can actually, you know, I can run. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, just from there, it started building up and building up and building up. And um, I've lived back and forth over the past seven years between here and, um, the United States and yep. my most recent stint in the US I was there in um, I moved over in November and I was there until March of this year um, while I was over there I I made friends with a couple of people who were training for the Boston Marathon this was before obviously COVID hit and it was cancelled right. um, and I joined in with them um, and you know previously up until last year the middle of last year I hadn't run anywhere over half a half marathon distance i don't know eight k's um was the furthest i'd run and then all of a sudden yeah i was running um with these boston guys and i did you know i did a 25k run and 30k run (laughs) yeah the further i went the you know the better i felt um and so yeah then it just sort of took off from there i guess and then i raced my first half marathon in march in um los angeles and i won it yeah wow okay yeah, yeah, and it was just like that was a shock to me, and um, right, you know, then yeah, just sort of it's got just gone from there. Yeah, so you'd say you naturally like the longer distances. Yeah, I think like I I think half marathons in particular are my sweet spot. I really like that distance. Um, yeah, because it takes me a little while to get into gear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I joke that I did a half. No, sorry, I joke that I did a um, the full marathon because I go well, it takes me a half marathon. To go. <laughs> Um, so yeah Yeah, cool and it uh it's funny because I hadn't heard of your name until Ross and I saw this little pocket rocket like you mentioned out in the course I'm thinking who is this girl I I don't know this girl and then suddenly I see all your name in the news and everywhere and I've gone oh okay right that's that girl um so can you tell me a little bit about Ross and and was that a big day for you as well was that a personal best day and yeah, I'd never run. I've never raced a marathon in my life. So um, to go out there and do it in sub three hours and then, you know, to, to win it, that was um, like, that blew my mind. I mean, the, the, the best thing for me about running is just the connection with people and the community and stuff like that. And the racing is just like a, you know, it's just an aside really. So, so to go out there and have that result, that was really beautiful. But the best part of the day was, you know, like, my mum was there and um, everyone, you know, the, 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 the community was there. And, and because we've been so um, sort of restricted with, with COVID, um, it was especially magical because everyone was feeling this sort of like pent up um, need to be with other people and to be at events. And so the, the spirit, the energy was just huge. And to it was, just, wasn't it? That, yeah, it was so epic. Like every time, because obviously Ross is a, a four lap 10 K ish or 10 and a half K course. And so every time coming through, you know, and the more and more people were, were, were arriving and like yeah, finishing, wasn't it? I was like, because I, I, it wasn't, you know, a technically great run. If we're talking in terms of tactics, um, you know, for me, having never raced a marathon before, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, I've got, you know, some, 
I've got some training obviously, but I don't, I've, I've not had a coach, you know, or anything. It's just been, you know, Google. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I went out too hard and I didn't um, take in nearly enough fuel. I only had one proper fuel stop and that was after the first 10 Ks. And then they ran the, you know, the next 30 Ks plus yeah. really any food. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And yep. so like, um, to, and then to still crack that three hours. Um, yeah. So that was just it. Yeah. Um, it was pretty wild. Yeah. Unreal. And I would totally agree with you. Just the atmosphere was there. I think everyone was craving a race of, of some sort and the community spirit. And I was actually filming that day and I made a little bit of a video and there's this uh, lovely moment with you and your mum and you embrace after the race. And I could really tell what that race meant to you. Um, yeah. yeah. And you probably have figured now since that day, obviously, and seeing the campaign work that I've been yep. doing. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I've, I've sort of mentioned a couple of times publicly recently is that this is the 10 year anniversary for me. And so running that marathon um, after, you know, where I was 10 years ago, there's a huge, like that's, that's hugely symbolic. Yeah. Um, you know, um, being, being quite literally down and out and, um, you know, like trapped and, and, um, physically, mentally, all those, all those things 10 years ago. And then to, to come out and, and, and run a marathon and have, have my mum there. My cousin was there. My friend Millie was there. Um, you know, and other people, um, other friends. Um, yeah, that was just really special, particularly for that reason. Yeah, beautiful. And so leading into this race, you said that you hadn't had much experience with running that distance. Yeah. Okay. And <laughs> down the track, I'm going to touch on why it was so important, what you've mentioned. But yeah. um, what was your typical training week looking like leading up to that? You mentioned a regular long run. Were you doing interval work? And Yeah. So, um I was sort of following a, a sort of rough plan of um, Mondays would be, you know, obviously the day after a long run. The Mondays would start, I'd start my week with a recovery run. And I've got a friend, Ben Covington, who's a great runner. Yeah, Cov, yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, and he lives down the road from me. So um, I would just sort of tack on with his run. And he, he usually is programmed to run like 10 to 12 Ks on a Monday morning. So I would just run at his pace just alongside him. He's a much better pacer than I am. He's, he's, you know, obviously a pro. Um, and so I just sort of follow his lead, um, you know, running 10 Ks at about 440, 450 pace, depending on, you know, what course we run. We usually just run around the beaches, but anyway, so 10 Ks on a Monday, 10 to 12 on a Monday. And then Tuesdays is my track day where I go up and I'll do, yeah, like an interval um, workout, either like I don't know, eight times six hundreds sandwiched in between a warm up and a cool down, um, yeah. or you know, any like twelve times four four hundred or whatever it is, or mile repeats, five mile repeats, or five one k efforts. Yeah, great. Um, Wednesday is usually like a mid to long, like middle sort of long run, like maybe sixteen to eighteen k's or something like that, like seventy five minutes to to ninety minutes. Yeah. Um, just sort of at a, at a comfortable pace, like not too hard. And then um, Thursday is either a rest day um, or another sort of session, but like maybe a fartlek. So like um, do 3Ks 
um, just jogging and then do 7Ks varied pace. So just like pick different markers along the course and you know, yeah. pick up a little bit, slow down, sprint for a little bit, whatever, whatever I'm feeling, and then do another 3Ks on the end to make it about 13 or 14Ks. And then Friday would be hills. Um, um, so anywhere like a, like a sort of 12K course, often I'd do it like on a trail. So there's obviously okay. vert in there. And yep. then at the end, make sure that I was doing like some hill reps of like either 150 or 200 meters of, of like pretty steep vert going, um, you know, as, as hard as I can and yep. then back down. Um, and then, yeah, Saturdays would either be an easy run of 5Ks or a rest day. And then, again, back to Sunday doing the long run of like right. half marathon to 25. And I think I peaked at doing the Ross in my Ross training. I peaked at a three-hour run. Four yeah, weeks okay. And I just ran for three hours and just see how, like, it felt running for three hours. Yeah. And I think I about 40Ks. So, yeah, great. And it's nice to experience the amount of time that you're probably yeah. aiming to be on your feet as well. Yeah. 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 And I wish that I'd taken on like, cause that's the thing is around that, that training, that maximum distance training run um, at about 4.30 pace. Okay. Yep. Taking in fuel at 4.30 pace is fine, but taking in fuel when yeah. you run sub four minute Ks is a <laughs> Because your whole like systems feels a little bit um, less inclined to want to swallow anything. Let's yeah, see. it's a different beast. You're yeah. um yeah, you're going to different energy systems yeah. pretty yeah. pretty yeah. early on too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, fantastic! And so you ran, you ran Ross, and like like I mentioned, it, it looked like a massive, massive, huge deal to you cool did you want to go through your pb so uh the listeners have a bit of an idea oh, i don't really i mean i don't really have any pbs yeah okay yeah like i ran um i mean on my on my strava i've got like you know some of my pbs i think my pb for 10ks is like 36 minutes or something yeah something around there 36 between 36 and 37 minutes and then my um my pb for a half marathon would have been on the same day as Ross because I ran. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I ran the first um, hour. I ran the first um, half in one twenty-five, um, and yeah, then that was my marathon PB of two hours fifty-nine um, thirty or thirty-one. Yeah. Awesome. And you get under three hours. I reckon that felt amazing. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 yeah the three hours I was very happy with that um and just listening like it just sounds um I think running development wise you've got a lot of years ahead of you so uh listening to what you've done it's really exciting I think I'm going to be really looking forward to seeing how you go in the future and yeah um, I think it's untapped and I think the more you run this event the more you'll get to know about it too yeah I'm I'm really excited like like I said I'm I'm drawn to running for so many reasons um you know as i'm sure you can understand as a fellow runner you know as someone who's run to sub like 230 marathons like that's ridiculous I, I think that's insane and that's so cool like i would oh no cheers thank I, you I, that's a goal for me now now that I've yeah absolutely yeah, from what i've seen right, you can do I that probably do a 230 if i put in some serious training but to me like i'll never stop running because 
of what it allows with your spirit. Like you, you connect with yourself and therefore with others in a way like nothing else. And you connect with your environment. I mean, running can take you anywhere. Well, even just on the road, you know, you can run to through beautiful places. But then again, on the trails, like it's just magical. And um, yeah, the freedom and, you know, we're a running people. Have you read the book Born to Run? No, but it's been mentioned to me times so i need to get onto that well it just i mean he's he the author christopher mcdougall um who's an american journalist i believe um and he was well but sports journalist um and it, you know it's full of it's full of fantastic anecdotes but it's also full of um scientific research you know because we're as a species we're actually literally born to run and that's part of the reason why we've survived to, to, to this point because we're obviously in terms of apex predators when you look at other animals in the animal kingdom you know we're clearly not the fastest we're not like cheaters you know we're not the strongest or the toughest we're not like big you know built like rhinos or we're not the great white shark kind of thing no um, but we've got this unique ability because of our physiology because of our anatomy um to run we don't need to we're not like dogs who need to stop and pant to cool themselves down no so (laughs) we are actually marathon runners and like you look at tribes who still um like human tribes in you know parts of africa and also parts of mexico who still hunt for their food in that way you know in groups where they just will run all day and that that's how they get the the animal in the end is they can outrun it um, by like constantly diverting it away from the shade and tiring it out that's amazing so epic so like to find out sort of stuff like that and it's just because of our conditioning as a society and also you know the culture of instant gratification as well people don't don't sort of want to do a lot of stuff that sort of takes takes time you know um in terms of spiritual growth they want instant results like oh i don't want to go out you know like i want to yeah i want to scroll through my social media or i want to press this button or you know like whatever have you and and so yeah we've just been sort of conditioned away from uh, from running and things like that which is which is unfortunate but i I, i'm always spreading the i'm always trying to preach to people about it (laughs) no no it's perfect but it's like the fight and flight what's the first thing you do when you're in trouble you run so it's a it's a it's a very that's the same thing like we mentioned and um yeah no it's amazing yeah, it's not just yeah, not just for survival, but for for, for thriving. Yeah, yeah, living, isn't it? Eating. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Cool. And so we're going to go back to this ten year anniversary. Yes. Of what happened? Did you want to explain that to the listeners and and um, mention the ordeal that you've been through? Yeah, I mean, I can give a sort of. Because again, it's not a um, very short answer um, because it was quite a quite a long. Um, it's quite it's quite long in terms of the trauma because obviously, um, so sexual sexual abuse and prolonged sexual abuse doesn't just stop with the abuse itself. It goes on for quite a while afterwards. But to sort of summarize, um, when I was in recovery from anorexia. Um, Uh, I was 15, I was in year 10. Um, I relapsed at the beginning of year 10 and I was re-hospitalised, albeit for a a shorter period than when I was 14. When I was 14, I was hospitalised for about two months or six weeks to two months. Um, But anyway, I was um, 
I was re-hospitalized at the beginning of 2010 with anorexia um, because I was um, dealing with a relapsed or like a sorry a, a resurfaced memory from when I was about six years old I was um, molested by an older child and I was dealing with that um, you know and obviously you know being 15 being really young being at an old girls school I went to an old girls school and you're learning about interacting with the opposite sex and all of that stuff so so I was wrestling with that and um one of the teachers at my school, um, now all the teachers, I just have to make note of the fact that all the teachers at my school um, were very much aware of my situation and my condition because I had to be supervised at lunch and recess time, eating my meals to make sure that I actually did eat them. So the staff were well aware of my situation, my mental illness. Um, but one particular teacher took a... Um, sort of like a, a particular interest or so he communicated to me in my recovery. Um, that's how he um, sort of framed it, that he wanted to help me um, and encouraged me to talk about my problems. And so one of the things that I eventually shared with him was the fact that I had been um, abused as a child and um, over a period of a few months, so from April of 2010 until um, June or July, he um, sort of groomed, groomed me. And now grooming is, again, a very hard process to explain because it involves lots of different layers of, of isolation and um, psychological manipulation through um, exposure to like sexual content, um, also uh, encouraging me to distrust all of my real support network, uh, like my family and my friends and my medical professionals. And yeah, so over a period of about three, four months, um, completely uh, broke down my connections with anything except him and then introduced um sexual abuse via a very deliberate recreation of the trauma of my childhood that I described to him. And then throughout the rest of the year, it escalated until obviously he was, um, you know, he raped me for the first time in uh, at the beginning of August in 2010. And that became a regular occurrence um, before and after school and on weekends, um, he would insist that I meet him in his office so that he could do that yeah well yeah <laughs> no first of all uh thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing that because that's not easy to talk about that sort of stuff so i appreciate that um i don't have i can't relate to that happening because that's never happened to me but you go to school and you think when you go to school it's meant to be a safe place and yeah. somewhere where you yeah. can be supported and just feel safe. Yep, so, exactly. Yeah, I mean, what I mean for you, what goes through your head now looking back on that? Do you just feel like you were the trust was just taken away from you? Oh yeah, look, there's a lot of things, um, but that is a huge. That's a huge part of it. Yeah, you know, it's it is actually quite hard to look back on that. Um, uh, objectively, like, sorry, not um, 
you know, like personally, I can, I can um, look back at it ob objectively and, and, um, you know, in terms of the, the learning um, and, and, and being able to sort of, um, I don't know. Um, but yeah, no, personally looking back, one of the, like, cause one of the hardest things for me now is meeting 15 year old girls, um, you know, now being 25, I've, I've had enough, you know, and it's only going to get that, that that's only going to get um, more and more intense as I, as I age and, and, and there is more distance and, and experience between myself now and, and myself then. But um, yeah, it is, it's, it's quite, it's quite hard to look back and, and realize like, um, oh, I've said this a couple of times uh, in recent interviews, but there's this really powerful quote from a film, a German film by a director called Wim Wenders and the film's called Wings of Desire. And the first line I believe is uh, when the child was a child, it didn't know it was a child. And that's like the definition of innocence. So for me, you know, I was um, a particularly vulnerable person, not only because of my mental illness at the time, um, but also because I'm actually high functioning autistic. So I, you know, and it presents very, diff that, that, that um, quote unquote disorder um, presents very differently in females because we're much better at, at mimicking um, and masking our um, social uh, difficulties, I suppose. Um, but for me, you know, I was, I was really impressionable and taking my cues from adults um, yep. and, and just other people in general, trying to figure out how to fit in and trying to figure out how to behave. And so, yeah, I was very vulnerable. Um, and, you know, like because of the eating disorder and the tension that that creates already between yourself and family members, um, you know, it was it was particularly calculated of him, particularly cruel of him, to to pick on someone like myself because, you know, my my like, you know, that those relationships that I had around me were already tenuous, and he just like, and and that's not to say that my my family weren't supportive. They were a hundred percent, you know, one hundred and ten percent had my back, and they were doing everything that they could, but he just he broke down those tenuous connections yeah. and he broke down my sense of self so yeah. I think that's probably when I look back on that time that's what I'm most sad about is 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 how successful that person was at the time of completely just destroying my self-esteem destroying my sense of self I had no idea who I was I had no idea what was going on. I didn't understand the gravity of what was going on. I knew that it was bad. I knew that it was awful, not only because it was physically incredibly painful, but it was just a very dark time emotionally. So I did know that it was awful, but it's it's not been until the, the most recent sort of probably three or four years that I've really, as an adult, been able to develop a concept of just how bad it is to do that to a child. Yeah, and it's... Plain and simple, he's taken an easy target, yeah. someone who's struggling with a few issues in their life, yeah. isolated you, made you feel connected to him. Mm -hmm. And and as you said, you were you were searching for, for someone to reach out to, I guess. And yeah, and he's taken advantage of that. And what are your what are your thoughts now on this predator? Are you do you have rage? Are you? Um, look, I, do, I don't, I don't have rage. And look, he, um, 
<laughs> he knows exactly what I think of him because actually the last words I ever spoke to him after being so throughout the abuse and this is actually something I don't think that I've talked about but throughout the abuse um, as per the nature of grooming I had been um, quite submissive and I'd been just sort of I just pandered to whatever he um, wanted me to I just was whoever he wanted me to be um, or who I thought he wanted me to be but at the very end something very interesting happened which is what led me to actually speak up um, you know like well it fully sealed my want to speak up because I'd been wanting to say something I, I knew that this man for instance like I knew that he I wasn't his first victim um, so I knew that 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 uh, you know if it's stopped with me um, he would no doubt um, keep keep going um, and there'd be other victims so that was one of the reasons but um, yeah something very interesting happened after he'd stopped physically abusing me he was still kept tabs on me still sort of turning up you know like it was very eerie like out of a horror film you know he knew my school timetable and I would turn around and he'd be in the doorway and it was just like awful um so anyway I um it got to the point where I just my anger and hatred of him surpassed my fear of him because I was terrified of him he's a terrifying terrifying person you know I'm I'm all of four five sorry five foot four and I think he's about six foot one or two um and uh ex um he was a he was a soldier in in South Africa and had had told me stories of you know that he killed people in in the context of you know war obviously but that still that he'd killed people and yeah. uh you know I was absolutely terrified of him and but yeah my my anger just just overtook my fear and I um walked past him in the school courtyard one day and you know typical teenage angst um, but obviously coming from a much darker place, uh, I flipped in the bird and he sent me a message um, on Facebook because it, a number of the ways that he would communicate with me with, were via fake, um, Facebook profiles that he had. And uh, he sent me a message and sort of asked, you know, like, you know, oh, well, why did you send me that message? You know, because, you know, understandably up until that point, I, I hadn't shown that anger. I hadn't shown yeah. that um that disgust uh um uh well actually that's not entirely true I'll, I'll go back to that in a second but anyway I I said to him look I don't want to say I don't want to talk to you on social media I don't want to talk to you on Facebook um I'll see you tomorrow so I went into his office the next day and I just exploded with anger and rage and I told him that I hated him I told him that I hoped he died and this is again I'm laughing because I, I, I you know I, I'm picturing my 15 year old self and it is kind of sad it's you know like I was so naive I, I didn't know why I didn't I didn't completely understand why I was so angry but I just said I hate you for what you've done to me I hate you I hate you I hate you um you know I hope you burn in hell and I said and the word last last sentence I think I said to him was I think you were I, I think you're a monster I think you're a monster and he his reaction now I'd tried because I'm an empath and because I, like I said, I'm, 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 I'm high functioning autistic, but I, I love people and I'm, I really care about 
other people and connecting with them and making sure that people are okay. I have the, you know, what my mom calls the disease to please. I just want to make everyone all right and make them feel better. It's a great thing. Great thing to have. Yeah. And I, so I tried to see, I tried to find the humanity in this man. I'd always, you know, and like, and again, part of the self blame of like, oh, well, clearly it's, you know, it's not all his fault. Like, it, no, I've done something to deserve this sort of thing. But in that moment, I, he, cause he sat there in his chair and he just looked at me and I was hysterically crying. I was spitting. I was that angry. And he sat there, he looked at me and he laughed at me. This is a 58 year old man who's been abusing me every day. He can see how distraught I am. He saw the scars on my body because I used to go home after he'd abused me. I used to go home and I'd cut myself and he'd see me the next day because he'd see me naked. He'd see where I had scars up and down my legs. And he knew he would have known that that was because he was doing that to me. Right. So he saw he saw this completely broken individual that was the product of his menacing behavior. He saw me just a mess shattered and he sat there in his chair and he laughed at me. That, um, that shows you the sign of the human. He is just plain and simple. Just evil. I'd I'd use the word evil. That's. Yeah. And that's as close as like, that's as close as I've come in my life to to evil that's as close as I and and it was right there in front of me and I just thought I can't live with myself you know hiding this um truth uh, because there are other people there are other children at stake there are children at stake yeah that's why we have to have these conversations that's why this issue is so important to be talked about because if we don't talk about it the buck stops with children and absolutely that's you've nailed it and this is this is why I wanted you to get on this this show and talk about it and get it out in the public and and the people who you think are are nice and and normal probably have this deep dark secret doing these things to children and yeah it's a yeah it's monsters in plain sight that's you know it's the 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 evil that we don't see because so much of you know um so much of this conversation and so much of the, the information around it is is a shrouded in mystery um but 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 b it's shrouded in discomfort you know um because we've been conditioned to think of it as taboo to think of it as shameful um and so people are less likely to have the conversations and therefore victims are less likely to have the conversations because they know that people don't want to hear about it. And so many children are met with this adult conspiracy of a denial when they do come forward, they come forward and they're told, you know, oh, you know, oh, well, that surely he's such a nice man, you know, like he wouldn't have done that or, it's, you know, um, oh, like I've never seen him do anything, you know what I mean? And so, yeah. It just feeds that cycle of abuse because yeah. because we yeah we that's that's the unfortunately that's the trend that's more that's the more typical response it is shifting mind you yeah. and I'm seeing this huge shift especially after Friday like um it's just this is so positive to see but yeah for so long it's been you know I oh, don't say this or or you know victims are just attention seeking that's another thing that I've I've um heard from various people um even you know people who are close to me. And I've had to say, you know, look, I understand where you're coming from, but the the, the fact is that this issue needs attention. But it's the fact is too, it's not about 
individual seeking attention. It's about this issue needing attention um, and us needing to change cultures of like, for instance, you know, um, we need to stop telling girls who are pushed over in the playground by boys. We need to stop telling them that that's normal because a boy, that's just what a boy does when he likes you. Yeah. Just conditioning. And we're conditioning little boys as well in the same way. We're conditioning boys. It's not a gender issue. I have to say we're conditioning boys and girls um, uh, to, to sort of just accept that that's a part of our reality that, and, you know, and then, the, and, and we soften violence and we give yeah. it a, we give it a context of, oh, well, it's it's not, you know, it's not that bad because it really actually just means this. No, it's wrong. But, a, but abuse is abuse. It doesn't matter if it's sexually or violent or words or abuse is abuse. It's, yeah, you nailed it. You put it, you know, you, you can't say it any better than you've said it. But um, bringing, bringing it to the forefront and letting people understand it, that, you know, we're not going to let this happen. Yeah. And I think that's what draw me to you. That was your passion in your words. And I heard you on the news and you can, you can tell that you're so passionate about this because you've lived it and yeah. you don't want anyone else going through what you went. No, not, not children. Look, men, women, I, you know, we're all, we're all potential victims. In fact, we are all actually um, survivors of this in, in some way, whether it's directly or otherwise. Because as I said, this doesn't just affect the individual who's targeted. Um, grooming actually includes the grooming and manipulation of, like I said, families, friends, community members. Um, and that's what we have to start finding that rage um, in a healthy, that healthy rage towards predators for that reason, realizing, no, that's, they've manipulated me too, whether it's the fact, whether, you know, whether it's um, having actually been abused by them or, or having been like a secondary sort of a pawn, if you will, in, in serving their goal. Um, you know, they prey on all of us and they make a joke of all of us. Yeah. And, and that, that's why, you know, it's so important that we, that we, that we talk about this because so long as we don't talk about it, um, and we, we get distracted by fighting amongst ourselves, by fighting with our family and our friends and our community, instead of trying to stop these behaviours from happening. We actually just feed, um, we feed into that abuse culture and we, we, we actually serve the perpetrators by doing that because it, it does the work for them. You know, like when we lose perspective and, and dissolve, devolve into infighting, um, we take the attention away from the real evil um, you know, and again, and, and we fuel that discomfort, we fuel the victim blaming, we fuel the stereotypes that victims are weak and that they are damaged goods and that they can't function normally in society. We have to break down those myths. And again, that's why like running goes hand in hand with what I do, because it's such an empowering thing. And I yeah. really want to show survivors like you're, you, yes, you're a survivor, but that's not that's not your definition. That's not who you are, you know, and, and even if it is, be proud of that. Yeah. Yeah. It shapes you, shapes you as a person. Yeah. yeah. It makes you strong. It gives you courage. It gives you fire. Absolutely. You yeah. A very unique beauty. Um, and, and, and I really want to encourage survivors to lean into that idea as opposed to um, trying to hide their, their truth. Yeah. Perfect. And, 
I, I've had my own battles with alcohol. I've been to rehab twice. Yep. And I find the best way to talk about my issues is to talk about it <laughs> and get it out there in the public and be open and be honest and say, yeah, yeah, this is a part of me, but it doesn't define me as a person. And when you, I'm sure yeah. you, when you do that, more people respond by opening. Oh, yeah. That's really the whole point of life. Yeah, absolutely. People. And so you, you, you get the ball rolling. It seems like maybe simple when people go well why 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 do you think you'll you'll make a difference well it's not just me as an isolated person it's the domino snowball effect of communication you start that conversation by just sharing your story with one person ding you've hit another domino and ding 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 all of a sudden yeah all of these people are coming out they're empowered they want to help they want to share their stories and they get this, um, you know, this, 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 this fire, and, that, and that's yeah. it. Like you, yeah. start, you start realizing that you're not actually alone, and that you've got all this support around you. Nailed it. And I guess the biggest thing when you were talking about this predator was the fact the lengths that he went to Facebook. Going, I mean, that's this yeah. is the this is like. Dude, this man really thought about what he was doing. Yeah. He really thought about it. And that's another thing that's not really understood about um, pr prolonged sexual abuse is, you know, I think that everyone's got a pretty clear concept of the physical side being very bad, you know, um, like rape and, and, and all that sort of stuff like that. People go, oh, yeah, black and white, like rape's bad uh, for the most part, at least. Um, but then when you talk about psychological manipulation in relation to um, sexual abuse, you talk about concepts like grooming um, and all the, all the different phases of grooming, right from the targeting phase through to the, the actually maintaining the control and, and, and the, um, in the domestic violence space, actually, it's called coercive control. Um, you know, you talk about all of that sort of stuff like that. That's where it's still, as I said, shrouded in mystery and ignorance because there's not enough education around it because we don't talk about it enough. Um, and yeah, the lengths that he went to, I mean, he was actually told to stay away from me in the in the beginning of the grooming. I because I I didn't see that there was anything wrong with what he was doing. I, he was just talking. Talk, he just wanted me to talk to him in his office. I was going home and communicating that openly with my parents. Yeah. I said, I talked in, you know, the teacher's office today and that raised huge alarm bells for them as adults. And they had took issue with it. Um, but he went against that. So he was told to stay away from me and then waited a couple of months until I was um, on a weekend was at school uh, rehearsing for a school play and he came and found me then yeah, so wow. he waited and planned it out until there was the perfect time that he was able to extricate me from um, you know proper supervision and take me to the other side of the school and reignite the um, quote-unquote friendship which is what it was or what he'd framed it as at the time now being the being the angsty um, mentally ill sort of rebellious kind of um, but also impressionable teenager that I was at the time. Um, and I, cause a lot of my relationships were, they were, they were terrible at the time. And so having this person come along um, in under the guise of support and, you know, like positive reinforcement, you know, cause he would tell me things like, Oh, you know, you can beat your illness on your own. You're so strong. You're so smart. Um, you're so beautiful. You know, like everything that a young 
desperate teenager wants to hear you know yeah. so he really thought about what he was doing yeah he really thought about it and um like i said the 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 element of grooming that involves the maintaining um control now that's a very interesting one because um not only do abusers make themselves into because they're the source of pain they make themselves the the comfort as well it's kind of like cat and mouse i like to explain it to people if you've ever seen a cat get a mouse um it it does this really cruel thing where it doesn't just kill it it lets its paw off its tail and run around for a little bit to think that the mouse has freedom to think that the mouse has autonomy and control over who they are but then all of a sudden it'll just put its paw back down yeah okay it you know he'd give me a little bit of like again positive reinforcement telling me that i was strong didn't need my support networks i was able to conquer my abuse by myself you know i'm 15 going on 25 you know he'd say things like that like you're, you're intelligent you're mature blah, blah 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 just feeding my very fragile very um you know similar. at the time yeah but then you know to make sure that i didn't get too confident he would break me down equally, not just through the sexual um, abuse, but, you, you know, he would break me down um, by saying that, uh, like, he looked me up and down one time after he'd raped me on the floor and he said, you could do with some more exercise, um, you know, and this oh teenager, Jeez. right? So yeah. it's, it's damaging your psyche too, isn't it? Oh, God, more than yeah. anything, more than yeah. the physical, you know, yeah. and, and, um, so I said I'd go back to this before, but I said I said before how I, you know, for, for the duration of the abuse itself that I'd been quite submissive and that he hadn't seen my reluctance really. Um, he'd just seen me playing along, going along with it. It was actually one particular time where I couldn't hide my pain. Now, this is after like most of the abuse, um, to be quite to be quite to the point and graphic most of the abuse um, involved me lying on my back on the floor of his office and that's where it was and I was it was getting to the point where again he's again I'm going to be quite crude here he's a big man and I'm a little person so it's very painful in a lot of ways um, but it got to the point where I um, no longer was able to cope with the physical element of it and I was really worried that I was going to going to show on my face um, while it was happening that I was in a lot of pain and that that would upset him and he would hurt me more. Yeah. Um, so I suggested under the guise of, um, you know, it would be nice to do it in a bed. Um, I suggested that we do it somewhere else and he booked a hotel room. And I remember going to this hotel room after school in my school uniform and he had his way with me. And then he saw that I was in so much pain um, and he just went, you know, you're not, you, you weren't into that, were you? And oh I, couldn't, I couldn't say anything. And he just went, well, we're going to do it again. So that's, so when people say also, um, well, why didn't you just say no? The answer to that is it doesn't matter. Yeah. To an abuser, it doesn't matter if you say no. Yeah. That's the whole point is that your voice doesn't matter. And no. again, that's all the more reason why we need to encourage survivors voices is because your voice does matter a hundred percent every single voice matters every single person counts in this fight against this evil yeah now and you speak with um i mean you've mentioned many things but the words you use are so powerful and 
you can just tell by by listening to you that this 15-year-old Grace and now you're 25, you are a totally different, empowered young woman. Yeah. <laughs> and did you want to tell the listeners a little bit about the journey that you've been on to well, even let yourself speak right now? Did you want to tell them what happened, what you did and how you took some power back? Oh, well, you know, after being abused at 15, it, it didn't, it didn't stop there with the trauma, I suppose, because again, what happens is you are programmed and, and these, mind you, it's important to note that these were my first lessons on intimacy as well. So I lost my virginity to a pedophile. So unfortunately that was my um, measuring stick, if you will, for relationships going forward. Um, and it's very common as well for people who've been abused to then go into further relation like other future relationships that are also abusive because you you know um whether you subconsciously or otherwise you seek out the same familiar patterns even if they're bad patterns so you know i went from traumatic relationship to traumatic relationship i've also experienced violence um i also you know got into drugs um alcohol prescription drugs um I did move to America and I had a couple of good years at a community college over there. So I moved to America when I was 18 and um, I studied at a community college. I got a couple of associates degrees. I did a couple of yoga training courses and I started on my healing journey, but because so much of there's there's kind of like in, an inherent latency to trauma that you can't actually force yourself to get over certain parts of an abuse until they're, they're ready, until you're at certain ages, for instance, like because you just don't know, you just can't understand it. Like when I was 18, how am I still, I'm still not different, that different to a 15 year old, you know? Still or stuck in the, yeah. Still, still a teenager, you don't know what it's like to be an adult, you don't have any concept sort of thing. So it was, you know, it was a very much like a push pull kind of journey of like swinging forward, but then swinging back, um, you know, through, other you know, addictions and, and, and phases of mental illness. But um, yeah, so, so it's been, a, it's been an interesting 10 years, um, very colorful 10 years, but in that 10 years, some really good things happened while I was in the U S for instance, um, some of my, what had been originally just a hobby of art, some of my art had got picked up and noticed by some sort of high profile people, I ended up working for one of my childhood heroes, John Cleese, and touring the United States in the capacity of, you know, being his illustrator for some of his tour merchandise, which Amazing. he, actually, yeah, and he actually ended up using it as his backdrop for his, some of his stage shows, which was really cool. And I got a huge friendship out of that with his daughter. She's like my one of my best friends. I love her. To oh, Peter. amazing. He's been, you know, such a huge support and, again, part of this campaign as well, um, you know, and, and, and so, that again, that, that there's that magic there of human connection um, and I've met another, like, a, a lot of other friends along the way in the journey um, and they've helped me to find myself again, obviously picked up my love of running almost three years ago again and, that, yeah. you know, that's been a part of it as well. Um, but, yeah, from... Yeah. from and then to now, it's sort of been like there's been this up and down as, as, as anyone's life is, as life itself is, is, is naturally up and down. And we all have stories of, of, of um, triumph and we all have stories of suffering, um, you know, which is, again, really important to communicate is that we're all, that we're all just the same at the end of the day. Um, 
so yeah it's been it's been a really interesting 10 years and and ultimately um a positive one i'm a glass half full person despite all this the crap um you know no, you're amazing um oh. you haven't given up no there's you're, no such thing i just don't yeah know. i love it well just your reply then is uh is perfect that's exactly what someone who's not giving up would say so yeah it's not an option to give yeah up. yeah great and john Cleese. yeah you just can you just go for all of its symbols but for 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 one of the most important symbols it's a one step at a time thing. You literally just put one foot in front of the other and you eventually get there. Yeah. Uh, even if each step, some of the steps aren't great and you might twist your ankle, um, as I'm sure you've done. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, like you might tr- trip over, you might fall down, but you just get back up, you dust yourself off and you keep running. Yeah, that's it. And as hard as this is to say, the past is the past, but you are your future. You can make yes my wholeheartedly. yes yep. the, past is the past and you can learn from it yeah every experience has a value in its educative potential and its informative potential but yeah it's in this it's in the past and you have you have control of what you do every minute to minute the next minute you do you know whether it's the the choice of what you put in your mouth to feed yourself you know you can either make a bad choice or a good choice there um, it's, you know, whether you choose to call up someone who's going to make you feel better or you choose to call up someone who's going to make you feel crap, you know, you have control over those things. Absolutely. And that's a, that's the beauty of life, isn't it? You can either go left or right. Yep. And we all know the bad way and we all know the good way. Yeah. Some of us, some of us do. <laughs> it takes a few goes sometimes. Yeah. Oh, well, well, mate, oh, I've had two times in rehab. I'm, I'm not perfect. I've been, I've been on a journey myself, but like you mentioned, every day is a new day. And as long as you're, for me, it's if as long as I'm not hurting anyone, yep. and I'm growing as a person, I'm happy. Yeah. And also it's important yeah. to not beat yourself up when you do have a slip up. Yeah. Um, because that's part of being human as well. Um, you know, like, like you said, you're not, you're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. We're going to have moments where we fall back sometimes into, into maladaptive or bad behaviors, but that's okay too. Um, you know, sometimes we need a little bit of that system reset to then remind us why we keep going on the good path or, you know, whatever, whatever the reason is, but, but yeah, just to not beat yourself up, to try to be a little bit softer, a little bit, bit more forgiving of your, yourself. Yeah. We're humans afterwards. We're not perfect. It's yeah. yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong with the dates and stuff, but in 2017, you started the letter speak campaign with Nina Funnel, who's a journalist and also a sexual assault survivor. Yeah. Do you want to, yeah. Okay. Did you want to tell the listeners a little bit about Nina herself and what this campaign is all about? So Nina, to put it simply, is uh, a force of nature like no other. And she is simply unstoppable. Um, because obviously we, we started this campaign because we were thwarted by the legal system, which previously made it illegal for survivors of child sexual abuse to tell their stories in public, even with their consent. All right. So that was our, the, our first hurdle was this law. All right. And that's not been the only hurdle on this way. It's again, it's been a push pull thing. Like we've, we'll make, we, we, we started the campaign and, you know, we'd make headway here or we'd make headway there and then something else would come up. We'd, we'd hit another blockade. We'd hit another obstacle on the course. Um, and Nina was just re- relentless. Um, she's done a lot of work. Like previously, 
Um, she's done a lot of work with um, sharing survivor stories and reporting on sexual assault. Um, she, you know, she's her uh, ability to um, list and um, like acquire statistics is insane, phenomenal, much better than, than I am at retaining that sort of information. And, uh, but, but yeah, no, her, her knowledge is just second to none. Um, and the, the advocacy work that she does for other survivors, other um, survivors of sexual assault. And then also she's um, a part of End Rape on Campus, which is a hugely um, powerful organization who work towards obviously ending um, rape on uh, like, you know, school and university grounds, which is a huge crisis that we have across the country and indeed across the world. Um, so yeah, so she does that work as well. And then just, yeah, um, as a friend though first yeah. and foremost um she's just been phenomenal she's so beautiful um and i mean that in terms of her personality but she's you know beautiful on the outside as well um and just a one wonderful to be around because she doesn't give up um and she gets it having been through abuse herself that was an important piece for me i think that really sealed the deal is that she had a unique ability to understand the delicacy of talking about this stuff and handling it in the public sphere because, you know, um, people often have good intentions, but if you haven't been through this, um, you just sort of don't, there are just things that you don't probably quite register in terms of like how to sort of go about it in the right ways or, or not the right ways, not that there's necessarily like a perfect way to go about it, but like in, you know, just sort of, I like to use instead of bad or good, I, I say helpful and unhelpful, right? Yeah. So she's sort of, you know, is more attuned or more, more in, um, in attunement with the, the, the helpful ways of approaching these things, the most helpful ways. So yeah, she's great. She's great. And she's a Walkley award winning journalist. Okay. Wow. I didn't, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. And campaign itself has actually won a Walkley award. Um, we also won the, um, uh, the Achievement in Campaigns Award at News.com's National Media Awards last year. Um, but, yeah. Wow. And you guys you guys teamed up and did you – so it was under the 2019 Tasmanian Evidence Act. Is that correct? That survivors were – It was the, um, the, the law that, um, that we ended up changing was Section 194K of Tasmanian's yep. Criminal Code. Okay. Yeah. And we also actually, um, and this is a really important thing that we did too, is we campaigned to change and reform the language of sexual assault charges because previously they were really soft um, in describing um, the, the nature of the crimes. So, for instance, the charge that was handed down to my perpetrator was maintaining a sexual relationship with a person under the age of 17. Now, not only is that a really long-winded and kind of convoluted charge, but it just softens all the details. And what we got to change to, which is more indicative of this, the seriousness of what actually happened, what we got to change to is persistent abuse of a minor, which is what yeah. it is. It's child sexual abuse. It's yeah. persistent abuse of a minor. So that's one of the things that we're still working on is looking for ways on how we can reform language of the law how we can, because um, there are other gag laws still in place around the country um, and around the world, how we can look for 
ways to give survivors their voice back. Um, you know, so abolishing gag laws is really important. Um, but then also, you know, we eventually want to work towards um, abolishing non-disclosure agreements, which are another form of silence. You know, like how many times did you hear of a non-disclosure agreement helping a survivor? It's just no, not it's helping. Always helping <laughs> okay. something to hide, isn't it? That's what yeah. a non-disclosure agreement is. Here, sign this piece of paper so that you don't dob on us. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's another area of legal reform. Um, and then also just reforming institutional responses to child sexual abuse because so many and I talked about it before briefly with like the adult conspiracy of denial but like so many so many um adults who even potentially suspect grooming they, they don't want to do anything about it even though there's mandatory reporting um a lot of people just they're, they're deterred because it's so uncomfortable to talk about they go oh, I don't want to involve myself in this oh, I don't want to get you know I don't want to get caught in the crossfire kind of thing so trying to develop systems so that people who suspect um, sexual assault feel more supported in coming yeah. forward or, you know, saying something as well. So there's lots of, there's lots of parts of the campaign that, that we're still going forward with. Number one, doing an amazing job. Thank you. Number two, love the passion. Thank you. And number three, there's been an amazing award bestowed to you just the last week and a bit. Yep. Did you want to talk about that for me? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I've, first of all, I'll say it felt a bit weird going up there by myself because none of this has been um, an individual effort at all. It's been so much the work of a team. You know, Nina, uh, my mum, my dad, my step-parents, my close immediate family, um, you know, end rape on campus and Mark Lawyers who have who, you know, given us all the proper legal advice and, and drafted up actual legislation for us along the way and made sure that we were protected along the way and didn't get ourselves into legal hot water. Those guys as well, we wouldn't have a campaign without them. Um, but more than anything, um, the feeling that I have, you know, winning that award was not about winning an award. It's about what it means as a symbol of change and a symbol of progress and how far we've come. And like I said, 10 years ago when I first spoke out about this, because of social conditioning, people's responses, and this is not anyone's fault individually, people's responses were um, victim blaming. You know, the, the, the first headlines were um, teacher admits to affair with student. You know, and you look at that, you think about that now and you think of a 15-year-old child and a 58-year-old man who had two children who were mm. twice my age and a wife, you know, that's not an affair. That is a clear case of abuse, right? So the attitude shift from 10 years ago and the fact that a survivor of sexual assault, a survivor of rape is being recognised for their work and appreciated in that way, respected in that way, that's huge. That's so yes. empowering to survivors. And, and so that that win was not a win for me as a person. That win was a, a win for the survivor community and a win for our um, society moving forward. Not only that, it got you, it got you in mainstream media as well. Because I didn't know anything about this campaign until I saw a few news articles and read a few, well saw yeah. and then read some articles. And how does that make you feel? You've yeah, gone to another level again. Yep, and that's again, that's it's it's just all um, it's all fuel for the campaign. So that's how yeah. I I see it as fuel for the cause, which I'm so proud of. I'm so proud just to be a part of it, man. It's it's because the best part of it is connecting with human beings in in the pursuit of a common good. And so the fact that this has just amped up that level of connection 
and you know like getting off stage and seeing other people hugging each other like yeah. I was there full of emotion I was crying but I was looking out into the audience and everyone was crying men women like yeah right. taking their headphones off you know and they were in the moment they'd stop doing what they were doing they were just looking and listening and feeling it they were feeling each other and like that's probably the poor choice of phrase there. <laughs> it's all right <laughs> i get it i get it <laughs> I laugh at myself um i'm always making faux pas like that but anyway <laughs> anyway so like yeah it's like feeling that emotion and, and feeling that just just raw pure humanity was just epic it's just yeah. like that's what we live for that's what we struggle for because it's worth it at the end of the day when we can celebrate our vulnerability as human beings, our imperfections as human beings, to walk off that stage and look out at people just hugging themselves, hugging each other, you know, that's the whole point. And so, yeah, like the fact that you've said it's taken it to a whole new level, it's taken that to a whole new level. It's taken our um, uh, our opportunity to connect as human beings to a whole new level. And that's yeah. what it's about. Absolutely. And have you guys found that you've got funding now? Is there is there funding coming forward to help your? We've always actually had funding. Yeah. Okay. The campaign is a GoFundMe. It has a GoFundMe arm to the campaign. Okay. So that is still open because we use those funds still to support victims, um, especially at the moment in Victoria. Um, there's a lot of victims who need our help because the pending changes to the um, to the law over there are going to make it illegal for um, deceased survivors to be named. So all families um, of deceased survivors who want to be able to share their stories, you know, will, will now have to get a court order. Um, and then it's just ridiculous. Can I, mean, I can I ask why these laws have come about in the first place? It's not protecting, not protecting a, a person who's gone through this. This I, I actually find that question really hard to answer because I don't know. Just I, I'm just oh, I'm just amazed, like. Yeah, supposedly. God, um, yeah. Supposedly, that's what they say. Supposedly, it is for purposes of purposes of protection, but I always come back to it with protection of who? Because predators, right? They that all that that's all they need. All they need is for people to stay quiet and in silence. Yeah. So any instance of a survivor or people who are on the on the good side of you know the campaign, any chance? So any time that they are silenced or that their histories are erased, that their truths are dampened, that only helps the predator. It only ever helps the predator. So I can't answer that question why, because yeah. it doesn't really make any sense. It just doesn't. No, it doesn't. Um, all I can say is keep up the amazing work that you're doing. Yeah, oh, yeah, like I said, I'm not Like I said, it takes many. People the whole team here, and we're just... We're just going from strength to strength. We're there you go, and great guns. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to head back towards the running now. Now, though, uh, what are some running goals that you would like to achieve in the future? I know that you mentioned that you've raced overseas a couple of times. Is that something that you'd like to do? Yeah, I think I'd. I'd just like to run as many of the like the you know I'd like to run. Obviously, COVID is is a spanner in the works, but I. Yeah. I, some stage in my life i'd love to be able to just run um in as many different cities as possible and meet as many different people as i can running um and i don't have any limits on myself in terms of what i can potentially achieve i just i just run because i love it and whatever the results are are just a bonus at the end of the day um yeah. and, and i'm like well, we'll see what happens well, who knows 
No? Beautiful way. Yeah, don't don't limit yourself. I think I think that's the number one. Once you put limitations on what you can do, you yeah, yeah. you're you're almost putting a fence up, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. And I clearly don't believe in that. No, no, no. You're breaking the fence. You're breaking barriers. You're jumping them. Yep. <laughs> and do you think the running? Well, I know personally, like I've had my um, mental health issues. Do you find the running number one is the biggest benefit for you for that? Uh, yes. Oh, 100%. Yeah. For many reasons, not just because it's obviously a form of exercise, but the spiritual aspect of it as well. So not only does it regulate your, your health, your physical health, but because your physical and mental health aren't really separate, like, you know, what you do for your body, you're doing for your brain as well. Um, but, you know, because so much of running is, unless you're running on a treadmill, you're running yeah. outdoors. Treadmill. <laughs> which I, I can't stand. I'm hopeless. Treadmills just drive me nuts. Um, but anyway, I, yeah, because you are forced to like literally go outside and whether you're running on the trail, as I said, or, or you're running on the road and you, you, you're exposed to nature, um, you're exposed to, you know, you see other people on your path, um, you know, who might give you a smile or a wave um, and that can have a huge potential and on your like potential impact on your mental health, but also just like, yeah, just, just connecting with the community, going to events, like, like I said, going to Ross, like the best part was being there with the people. Um, but yeah, it just, it just, um, and it allows you to gain perspective, I suppose, when you, especially when you are on a trail and you go yeah. up, you climb a mountain because um, you're looking down at your feet and then you might not realize until you get to the top that you've just climbed this huge mountain and you're at the top and exposed to this beautiful view and you're experiencing awe and you suddenly realize, oh, I'm just this tiny little person in this huge big wide world and that's just really beautiful so it's grounding um it just yeah it just lets you reset and appreciate the simple things and like why we're here and it's just to be connected perfect love those words you've uh, you've nailed it again <laughs> and what is one piece of advice that you would give a newbie runner or even someone who's been running for quite a while Oh, um, I would say run like you live in the moment, right? If you um, don't feel good, you know, I guess some there'd be the argument from coaches who'd say, you know, like, oh, you just got to run through it or whatever. <laughs> you know, like if you if really, if you don't feel good, don't run. Um, you know, you don't want to make, uh, you don't want to have a negative association with it. You don't want it to be a punishment. You want it to be a freedom, right? You want it to be empowering. So, you know, and like, like I said before, don't be too hard on yourself. Like, um, you know, don't get too caught up in times and, and distances and stuff like that. Like the most important thing is that you're enjoying yourself and um, that you've got this hugely um, beneficial, like spiritual, physical release um you know and 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 make sure that that's what's driving the 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 running um and yeah just stick with it be consistent be persistent don't give up um and like if you have a bad day of running like if you have a run that's not that great it's just the indicative of that day it's not about it's not you it's not that you're a bad runner all of a sudden that or that you you know you can't run anymore or it's the end of the world um yeah and just remember it's one step at a time literally great answers and i loved how you said um don't lose the enjoyment of running for what it is yeah don't i've been down that track 
and I've just ran because it's something that I did and I needed a break because I was burnt out because I stopped enjoying it. So that's a great, that's a great tip. Take rest days. <laughs> yeah, take rest days. It's as simple as that. Even if, if you are listening, to... take a rest day. <laughs> Even if you have to force yourself, like sometimes yeah. I have to go, no, like I've run six days in a row, seven days in a row, I have to take a rest day. Yeah, and yeah. My, my brain goes, no, I have to run. <laughs> then I take a rest day and the next day I have the freshest, spiciest little legs. And yeah. I'm like, ah, rest And you actually day. want to do it instead of just yeah. because. I, I mean, most runners know it becomes an addiction. Yes. In a way anyway. So, um, but it's good to have a break and, and uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I'll build it. And what does Grace's life look like when you're not doing all these amazing things? Um, well, I, that, then I'm in bed, aren't I? That's, yeah. <laughs> I'm you I'm just feeding, don't stop. <laughs> feeding Grace for food. Um, no, I'm hanging out with my friends and my family. Yeah. I live for. Yeah, great. You mm-hmm. sort of answer the next question then. I was going to say, what are some values in, in your life? Oh, uh, yeah. So number one for me is love. Um, so that's just like the people around me, um, also nature. I love animals. I love, um, I love getting out in the wild. Um, my last name's tame, but that could be, uh, that could be, uh, you know, couldn't be further from the truth. I'm tame by name, but not by nature. Um, (laughs) uh, what else? Um, yeah, just, just, just love, I suppose. I kind of kind of covers all of it. Um, you know, because everything else sort of falls in line with that, you know, um, maintaining a, a healthy lifestyle is huge for me um in every aspect like I, as well as running i also teach yoga um swim in the ocean um that's really great for mental health as well it's a huge value of mine but yeah like food and um you know healthy good healthy food good healthy environment all of that sort of stuff like that um yeah. Yeah, and encouraging other people and, and doing stuff for other people um but self-care is a huge one and I like to use the analogy of um, you got to fit your own oxygen mask before you fit anybody else's so that you can be the best um, help for other people. It actually is bet- better for other people when you yeah. yourself first. Um, so, yeah. So, help, like, yeah, looking after yourself so that you can be able to look after other people and um, lift each other up as opposed to, to breaking each other down. And keeping an open mind, that's a huge value of mine as well. Like being prepared to um, take accountability for your mistakes, own up to what you've um, done and and realise that life's a continuum. And you're not, like you said before, I'm not that 15-year-old girl that I was back then. That's part of who I am. But you always can, have, you always have the potential to improve and, and be, be better. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd say those. And be positive. Great. <laughs> And what, what does strike me is your wisdom. You're 25, but I feel like I'm talking to a 40-year-old, <laughs> um, which isn't a compliment. Don't, don't take it as a yeah. – but you had this amazing way of words and life experience. Do you see yourself going into counselling or social work and use this power in any way? Even though you are, you're being, you're being a spokesperson for, for sexual assault people. Mm-hmm which is great, but do you see yourself doing anything like that in the track? I don't know. I, um, I, I, I don't really know. I, I, I can't really see that far ahead, but I, I sort of, I guess I do that in my day-to-day life. A huge part of the campaign that a lot of people don't see is the 
the outreach um, privately that I get, you know, from survivors and, and people in the community, um, you know, just through like direct message on Instagram or, or Facebook or email or stuff like that. Like I get a lot of messages from people. And so I actually spend a lot of my free time sitting with survivors and just listening with them and talking with them and making sure that they're all right and being that lived experienced, relatable person for them. But anything that involves helping others, like like I'll just go for it. I haven't made that many solid plans in my life. And yet, because of my, the positive intention that guides whatever I do, I always end up, you know, surely, yes, I've, I have to traverse some dangerous territory sometimes. And, you know, it's not always great, but I always seem to end up somewhere good. So, yeah, just leaning into that. It's following your heart, I think, as well. That's if all your thing. intentions, yeah, yeah, your Follow heart it. and your brain will tell you what you, what you do. You need to find a passion. You found a passion, obviously. You're very yeah. good at it, and and it's obvious that that you love what you do. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. So you you got to live and breathe it. Absolutely, and yeah. important about self care too. Um, yeah. yeah. And do you meditate? That's or do you? Is I suppose running, yoga. Running is meditating for me. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I don't run with headphones, for instance. Like I just okay. go out and knock out like a two-hour run, and I just just go out and you know I work through my 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 thoughts. But then sometimes I get to this amazing, you know, like you, you would have experienced this before, with that transcendent phase where I actually forget that I'm a body and I forget that I'm running and like I'll smack into stuff if I'm not careful. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah cracked out on that endorphin high of just like being one with you know like in that meditative state where I'll trip and fall over and it's only because I've tripped and fallen over and cut cut myself cut my leg or something like that that I've realized like oh no I'm actually a human body and I'm you know running <laughs> yeah. no it's a it's a hard to explain I don't know exactly what you mean you go in this little I don't know it's a little little world of your own and yep yeah brilliant and closing out today what are some mantras that you live by? Um, well, I've kind of gone over them, but I suppose, yeah, one step at a time. Love yourself, love other people, love, you know, your community, your environment as well. Um, hmm. I don't know. Uh, I, I always like to think, again, stubbornly, optimistically, um, that the best is yet to come. So, you know, we inevitably have dark times that we go through. Um, I'm sure like, you know, every day is, is, is different, um, but always is holding out for that, um, the goodness that, that's going to come on the other side and leaning into the fact that like um, bad stuff is important for us to go through, not only because we learn lessons from it, but because it then gives a more positive value to the good stuff when we get to it, like it makes it tastier because we've yeah. suffered a bit. So reminding ourselves of that, that the bad times are important because they give a context, they give perspective to the good times when they do eventually come out. Um, yeah, I don't know, but those those mantras are sort of like the basic ones of like the best is yet to come and one step at a time. And also that we're all in this together, you know, like um, we've all, if we lean into that and truly believe, like when you, when you, when you receive love, like, I know sometimes when you don't love yourself, it's hard to accept it, but trying to trying to really just lean into that. Right. And yeah, I'm just, I really love your words. <laughs> um, I just, I reckon 
the way you talk and the way you um what, I don't know like you just really you got a great way of explaining things and I think it's going to keep you in good stead for whatever you do in the future and I wish you the best of luck and where can people follow your journey on Instagram if that's okay um they can follow me at tame punk I know that's <laughs> silly so yeah so my last name tame and then punk um yeah you can follow follow what i'm doing there i suppose um i'm in the process of um developing a website i guess like he's identified before that this is sort of taking everything to a whole new level that i that for me is very new um and i'm just learning as i go um but yeah hopefully soon i'll have a website up and running um but yeah in the meantime just instagram facebook or whatever have you right listeners This has been Grace Tame. I'm Brian Lyons, your host, and this has been the Everyday Lions podcast. Happy running. Thank you, Grace. Thank you, Brian. So happy to see you. Listeners, that was Grace Tame. I think you'd agree that Grace is such an amazing, young, intelligent woman. I wish her the best of luck with her Let Her Speak campaign and all the amazing work that she's done. Also, with her running in the future, Grace is an exceptional talent. And I think that we've only just heard this name in running circles and I just can't wait to see what she'll do in any future races that she competes in. If you did enjoy this podcast, please reach out to Grace. I reckon she'd think that's pretty cool. Also, if this podcast brought up any issues for you, please contact a friend or a family member or you can contact Lifeline on 131114. Also, Everyday Lions has 8-week, 12-week, 16-week and yearly programs available at affordable prices. These are runner-centred programs. They're your goals, not my goals. So if you're looking for a coach, please consider Everyday Lions. Also, can you please leave us a ratings on iTunes because more people will find out about the podcast and will go up in the topic of running Until next time, I've been your host, Brian Lyons. This is the Everyday Lyons podcast, and happy running.